Sure. Um, we have a phrase, make mistakes work for you. We have another phrase, uh, see all obstacles as gifts. Uh, this, this is part of an improv mindset. The fact is the majority of the time we don't. Welcome back everybody to the strategy show. I'm your host, Simon Severino. Today, our guest is a longtime creative executive at the Second City, who co-leads the Second Science Project, an initiative started at the University of Chicago, analyzing behavioral science through the lens of improvisation. Hello, everybody. Kelly Leonard. Hi. So cool to have you here, Kelly because improvisation is something that we really need in this funky year. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 We're uh, no one is working with a script right now. So where are you right now? I'm in Chicago, uh, in the attic of my home on the Northwest side. Um, and my wife, who is a, uh, also works at Second City and, and teaches college, we're doing lots of Zoom uh, classes and webinars and keynotes, it's, it's, kind of amazing how we have actually have been able to pivot from this work which was basically exclusively live um, into these new formats. Um, not perfect, uh, as, as we say, which is why, you know, if you have an improv mindset, I think you, you can find a bit more resilience than other people who are struggling um, in, in this new world. What, what else have we left to do in this funky year? If we weren't improv, we, we will be. Yeah, no, no, no. It, it is, it is. Uh, there's a phrase that we use, play the scene you're in, not the scene you want to be in. Uh, and so if you just sort of concentrate on like, I'm here, this is what, what it is, so let's move forward together. That's what, that's what you got to do. I love it. Play the scene you're in, not the scene you want to be in. This is life advice. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, improv, I mean, this, this is the thing about, you know, the origin story of, of, of Second City. I don't know how many people know this, but the games that we teach, the exercises, were all created by a social worker in the 20s and 30s at Jane Addams Hull House on the south side of Chicago. Her name was Viola Spolin, and her job was to better assimilate immigrant children who were coming into her care. So she created all these exercises in these games that teased out empathetic communication, a communication with, without verbal uh, uh, use, because a lot of the kids didn't share the same language. And her son, Paul Sills, was studying at the University of Chicago, and he loved these games, and he taught them to his friends, Mike Nichols, Elaine May, among others, and they formed the first improvisational theater in America called the Compass Players in 1955, and that turned into the Second City in 1959. So the origin story of the work is in life, you know, giving and culture giving to children. And this is so relevant right now because we are in a world that is shifting on every level. Yeah. And nobody knows how the levels will recombine and when. And right now, everybody has the choice to either embrace, adapt, mm -hmm. and act with what is given or just try to avoid something, try to stop something that is so much bigger. And so observing many entrepreneurs and, and friends and family, etc., the ones who do well right now are the ones who can fully embrace the situation as it is. 
Well, even before the pandemic, the default setting for human beings, and social science teaches us this, is, is kind of a, a no position. It's to do nothing or avoid uh, making a choice. That is, that is a setting because we're, we're fear-based characters. We, we work out of that, that sort of part of the brain. So the whole idea behind the yes and principle in improvisation is to nudge you uh, into doing the thing that you wouldn't do uh, previously. That just takes on uh, the sort of gargantuan um, scope uh, in this global pandemic when, when we are forced uh, to change, when, when new is new every day. Um, and, and, and it's not, you know, and it's not just the pandemic, right? It's, it's the, the sort of social and cultural revolution that's, ha that, that's happening. Um, it's dealing with the income inequality that's been rising over years. I mean, we haven't been doing it right. Um, and the business books have been telling us this and the scientists have been telling us this. And now we have a reckoning. And, and, and frankly, that reckoning is an opportunity because if we can and sort of embrace this idea of uh, focus on change and appreciating difference and growing and adapting together, um, we have an opportunity to make the world a lot better of a place than it is right now. Absolutely. And right now, before recording, my camera is broken, the light is not working well. <laughs> and I was like, what do we do? Do we do a perfect episode in, in months? It would, that would be January. Or do we just roll with the punches? Let's roll with the punches. Yep, that's what you do. It is as it is. And you have brought some really relevant stuff. Why mistakes are useful. Yeah. Why we should stop hiring for cultural fit and consider something else instead. And why we should communicate more but shorter. Let's unpack that. Sure. Um, we have a phrase, make mistakes work for you. We have another phrase, uh, see all obstacles as gifts. Uh, this, this is part of an improv mindset. The fact is the majority of the time we don't get it right. Um, and, and take this analogy across the board, like, you know, in sports, I mean, you know, it is rarely perfect. Um, when it is, we celebrate perf perf perfection like crazy. I mean, getting a 10 in gymnastics like rarely happens, right? Um, we fall a lot on the way to getting good at what we do. And the business world, uh, somehow, when, when we cross this threshold from our lives and, and how we know the, our experience as a living person, we get in these businesses where it's expected that you know you, you get it right all the time. Well, you're not going to. Um, and, and the other thing that we know is the way you do get good at something is by experimenting over time, time and again, time and again, time and again. This is what great innovators know. It's what creative people know. Um, but unfortunately, most businesses aren't set up uh, to foster environments where people feel safe failing. So Amy Edmondson, uh, the noted uh, psychologist, talks about the need for psychological safety. Um, you know, that, that when people don't have psychological safety, they tend to either not act or they tend to, um, uh, uh, you know, lie, uh, uh, cover stuff up. So impro an improvisational culture is one in which we respect and encourage a lot of mistakes early on, on the way to when you are like on an opening night, right? For a Second City show. I'm not looking for mistakes on opening night, but the only reason I can get to that place where I have a really good show on opening night is all the mistakes that were allowed in the early part of the process. So that's a huge thing for us. You know, I'm also a CEO and I also struggle. I don't want mistakes either. So mm -hmm. I don't want six months later, the big project with the big budget to be a failure. And that's why we have created these very short cycles that we call sprints. So in seven days, everything needs to happen and to end. 
So we do mistakes, but it's just a three hours market research. It's not a three weeks big budget market research. Yeah. Three hours market research. Go out there, talk to five people, come back in and learn from from so if 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 we waste three hours, if we waste a small budget, I'm happy because we are learning. Yeah. And we are if we are doing it fast. I'm even super happy because speed of learning is our competitive advantage. Uh, on the other side, but if something would break in six months and it's irreversible, etc., of course I cannot embrace failure. Why would I want something like that? Right. So we have found out to, to, to slice things in, in very small, very real time, uh, S parallel experiments instead of sequential big projects. What what does the your your research and your practice uh, say? How can we how can we create a safe uh, explorative setting? Well, I mean, it starts at the top, of course. Uh, so you want your team leaders uh, to message and model the behavior, um, which, which means also uh, uh, freedom, freedom to fail. Um, I just read a study this morning, Dan Pink posted it on Twitter, uh, that uh, for sort of menial tasks, having sort of strict oversight is really good for people. It gets those tasks completed. It is the exact opposite for any creative work um, or any deep thinking work. You need to give people some freedom and, and eyes off of them. So at Second City, when we're developing a show, we have this 12-week process that almost all this stuff is built around. Um, in the first four weeks of rehearsal and trying out material, the bosses, the producers, don't go in at all. <laughs> they, give, they give them complete freedom. They don't need those eyes on them. They need to be able to make their mistakes. They need to try out terrible scene ideas uh, because they're going to make discoveries. You know, no great uh, piece of comedy that got developed at Second City, like the best stuff, you know, came in like by a normal channel. It was always something that was like a surprise discovery that sort of just happened out of nowhere because someone took a big chance. So you got to give people some freedom um, and some autonomy. Um, and then you also have to create an environment where uh, you have really robust, loving feedback. Uh, There's another study that Bob Sutton posted the other day uh, from Stanford. Um, that showed that in brainstorming sessions, uh, it really is healthy when people can challenge each other on, on, on these ideas, but it becomes unhealthy for the entire group when a person tries to win in that, in that, in that uh, challenging thing. Uh, my friend Kim uh, uh, Scott calls it radical candor. The idea that you really want to be truthful with people, but you can only do that if they know you've got their back. If you know that, that, that you love them. Um, and not a word we don't use in business enough too is, is that idea of love. I mean, it's like, this is, this is the, the mo one of the most important concepts in all of humanity. Um, in business, it, you're working with humans. Uh, you should not be afraid to, to use that word love because that will get people uh, to develop trust um, and when they have meaning and trust and purpose and freedom, they can bring their best selves uh, to projects. Uh, and then when it comes to crunch time, uh, they can they can take uh, the the criticism, use that, and incorporate it into whatever they're they're creating in the moment. I love this so much. So feedback can come from an, a place of love or from a place of rivalry and judgment, and domin judgment yeah. dominance. And this is really important. You feel it on the other side from 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 where this is coming, and oh, yeah. it's nurturing, or or if it's really helping you move forward, or or if it's just a slap in the face. 
And also the word love. I, re I really appreciate you bringing up this word. We have, we have one page on our site, which is strategiesprints.com slash love. Mm. Many at the beginning said, can you please put that down? You're a business consultancy uh, that's inappropriate. And I was <laughs> appropriate about love. Love, love is inappropriate? What's wrong with humanity? Well, this where, is it. Where are we heading to? Exactly. See, this is business and love something in, incompatible. You want to make your sales more repeatable and reliable? Do you want to have less volatility and more growth in your revenue per month? At Strategy Sprints, we do only one thing strategy and sprints. Strategy means having more revenue through a better offer. And sprints means having more energy in your team every week. Check out if your ROI is as high as it is for most service-based and online businesses and startups we work with, which is over 100%. You can see it in just 15 minutes by going to strategysprints.com sales and completing our online exercise to know what your ROI would be with our Accelerator program. We are ready to sprint. Are you? So, so and it's hilarious because, right, uh, data and science teaches us uh, that, let's just talk from sales, uh, that if you're trying to sell someone, uh, you're gonna need to, to basically prey on their emotions, right? So, so instead of trying to manipulate their emotional state. How about you just appeal to the best, better angels that we have, which is you offer up like love of the product, love of the person, love of the people, love of the community, all those things, which is what we are all looking for. You know, this is the sense of connection and belonging. And it can be a, a net positive for everyone. It doesn't need to be a manipulation. And I think, you know, one of the scariest things about the sort of social media world we find ourselves in, uh, a, a world in which we, we desperately need seatbelts, uh, but we haven't figured out what those are. Um, you can see just the, the amazing reach that you and I can have this conversation from Vienna to, to Chicago because of this digital footprint. And at the same time, there's just lies and disinformation and other things that are being used. Um, you know, I, 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 have fr I have a friend near IL who said that if it can't be used for evil, it's not a superpower. Um, and I think that that speaks to digital. I think it's true of improvisation as well. A lot, a lot of con people uh, will use the yes and term when really they're trying to do a, a, a yes for me. Nir is amazing. He was two times on the show. He oh, was right. of, the, of the best guest we ever had. And I love his book so much, Indistractable. Yeah. Absolutely. So yes, this is so timely. This is so relevant. And you have also a second CEO tip for us that we should stop hiring for a cultural fit. And this is interesting and counterintuitive. But before we go there, let's pass through the segment that we call the Strategy Award. If you could pick only one person, Kelly, who is doing things differently, when everybody zigs, they are zagging, but they are doing the right thing from your perspective. Who is this person? All right. I had three people, but I just have to do one, right? You can do three. I can do three. Um, there are three uh, women, uh, all uh, comic performers, writers, some produce, uh, who I worked with at Second City. They are three black women 
who are doing incredible work, um, Tawny Newsom, uh, Nicole Thurman, and Ashley Nicole Black. They, what they are doing is they've taken over, whether it's Twitter or Instagram, um, they are presenting um, their truth, their hilarious viewpoints on the world and politics and culture, uh, and they've been able to sort of generate their own audience. They don't need a middle person because they are now, because of the, the sort of the good part of social media, they have their own agency and their own voice. And and then like Tawny just released an album and she, she's so multidisciplined in her, she hosts a podcast called Yo Is This Racist? And she's working on a Star Trek cartoon. All three of them are doing incredible work. And it's, it's, it's so gratifying um, because at Second City, you know, these folks come in very young and they're really just sort of honing their skills and you, you hopefully see something in them uh, and then to see you know a decade later they're you know at the leading cutting edge of creativity and entertainment um, is is really terrific and the fact that it's it's three black women as well I think is just um, a, a testament to the place we are now and the place we need to be. And it also fits very well to your second CEO tip we should stop hiring for cultural fit and do something else instead. Yeah. So I was the guy early on in my career at Second City when there was a major uh, hire, uh, and not just for the stage, like for the business, that that I was the culture guy. I would come in and be like, is this person going to fit in culturally? It took me many years later to realize that that was stupid uh, and dangerous. Um, And uh, because we are uh, uh, victims to our own biases. Um, We tend to want to be around people who look and sound like us and agree with us. Um, But the more you have a company that has a bunch of people who look and sound uh, like we do, um, you lose any sense of diversity. You lose a sense of equity. You also lose truth um, because the truth is multidimensional and it's more than just my experiences. So ironically, this is something we never did on the stages. On the stages at Second City, we have casts of six, and we hire for people who are truly diverse from one another. It's like it's like if you were building a uh, a football team, a soccer team. You know, it's not you're not going to have a bunch of center forwards. <laughs> you you need a goalie. You need you need a striker. You need a fullback. You you know. So so you 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 cast appropriately, um, but. We, we didn't translate that well at Second City uh, to the business side. We did it on the creative side. Hopefully we're getting better about it now. Um, but yeah, hiring for cultural fit is a huge mistake. You want to hire people who are going to be free to disagree with you and, and say it, uh, but also in, in a pro-positive way, uh, not just as, as a way to be the loudest voice in the room, uh, but to be many voices in a room. We have a phrase, all of us are better than one of us. And the only way you get to that space is if everyone has a place where, where their voice can be heard. Talking to you, who come from Second City and is researching on improv, I remember that one of my favorite books for years was Keith Johnstone, yep. Improv for Storytellers. Mm-hmm. And I, I was doing strategy workshops with CEOs of, of the big brands, and I was constantly thinking, how could I do this exercise right now? How can I try that here right now? So I'm curious, what are, what are um, professional books that you find inspiring? Uh, so I thought about this because I knew you were going to ask. There's, there's three books that, that sort of came to mind when I looked at this. One is a book called Your It, Crisis Change and How to Lead When It Matters Most. And that's by Eric McNulty and a bunch of his Harvard colleagues. This is a book uh, about you know, what really uh, is effective 
um, in great times of change. This was written well before a, a hint of the pandemic. I, I interviewed Eric for my podcast about two years ago, but I remember reading this book and like every single uh, uh, chapter, I'd be reading out loud to someone like, you've got to hear this. They studied the Boston Marathon uh, bombing uh, and, the, and the fact that one of the reasons that the response was so effective was the level of practice all the different uh, groups in Boston had because there's so many festivals and other events and you know bicentennials and things like that. So in Boston, for years, the various entities, fire department, police, collaborated because because they had these big scale events. So they needed to be able to understand how to mesh and work together. And when they went and asked, like, well, who was in charge? No one. There wasn't one person in charge. It was classic decentralized uh, uh, responsibility. Everyone was responsible for their stuff, and they all worked together and knew how to communicate well. And that's why the response to that that you know tragic incident um, actually worked seamlessly. Uh, so that that book is is terrific. Another one I want to recommend is "See No Stranger." by Valerie Kaur. Uh, uh, Valerie is a Sikh activist, a lawyer, a filmmaker. This is her, her memoir uh, about growing up uh, Sikh in California in a rural farming town, um, her, uh, uh, in the response of 9-11 um, and the incredible damage that was done in, in the Sikh community, mistaking them for people who might be involved in this terrible terrorist uh, uh, bombing uh, attack. The, the, the book is, and, and she calls for a thing called revolutionary love. Um, and, and, and see no stranger comes from that, which is if you can summon up the strength to see the other, whoever the other is, as having a mind, a soul, a body, a, as human, um, we have an opportunity to move forward in this world. And I think right now, right, what we're seeing is so many of us are choosing to not see the other as human. We're looking to block, uh, we're looking to shun, we're looking to shame. Um, and I just don't see how we collectively move forward in the complexity that is uh, 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 our world right now, victimized by climate change and, and, and other things, if we don't all work together. Uh, and then finally, uh, Trampled by Unicorns, uh, Mael Gavet, uh, who is an amazing writer, and this is a book about uh, tech and data and misogyny. Um, and it, you start to look at the numbers of uh, uh, the, big, the big companies, the Apples, the Facebooks, the Microsofts, overwhelmingly uh, white, Asian, and male, like 80%. And beyond that, if that isn't a bubble enough, uh, the bubbles that they live in in their um, locations where they work, where they don't have to go out to eat, they don't have to go out to, to for dry cleaning. They're not talking to people who don't look uh, and sound like them, and they all have a lot of money. So it also becomes like these sort of like self-proclaimed liberals who are also very much, why doesn't everyone just pull themselves up by their own bootstraps? Not seeing the, the devastation uh, that is, uh, exists in, in, in our cities. Uh, and so Mayo's book was a, a huge wake-up call. And it's also really, really well-written. So those are my three. Beautiful. And I'm even inspired by revolutionary love. So maybe I shouldn't stop at having slash love on our website, but even thinking it further. Yeah. Because it was the results page. We, we needed a page with cases, you know? Yeah. So many people write slash cases, but I don't, I don't do cases. What is a case? I know people and I, I care about some people and I want to give them a voice. So these people, they care about somebody who cares and they talk about it. That's for me slash love. Yeah. And, uh, and revolutionary 
is the twist that, that, that I also like about this discussion. Now, uh, you have a third CEO tip for us. Communicate more, but shorter. So there's a lot of science around this idea, uh, which is we are at our best when we sort of distribute our tasks throughout a day. So that if you've got sort of deep work to do, you do that for like 20 minutes or so, but then follow that up with like checking some emails um, and then, but then switch again. Uh, this is also a thing in athletics, right? You, you do sprints, you do rest. We rest is so crucially important uh, to our bodies and our minds. Um, and so, so these, these things aren't disconnected. They are happening in our bodies and in our minds all the time. So especially in the sort of world of uh, Zoom uh, communication or, or whatever you're on, um, the idea of having like three hour Zoom calls and you think something is going to get done is a huge mistake. Um, but the idea of just then not doing any communication is an even worse mistake. So set up a 10 minute, 15 minute conversations four or five times a day with different people, check in with them multiple times during the week. You are going to um, better the communication at hand. People are going to get to it more quickly, but also the frequency will allow you to understand when the conversation's changed. Because that's the other thing about the time we're living in, which is what was true for us six months ago is not what was true for us three months ago, which is not what's true for us today. It is moving that fast. So the only way you have a good ground game and, and try to stay sort of on the edge or, or ahead, hopefully, is if you're in a steady, ongoing communication with everyone. Uh, Ron Heifetz at Harvard is a leadership expert. He talks about the need for leaders to be both on the dance floor and in the balcony and going back and forth. And so it's really crucial that you are talking at all levels of your organization. And, and you do that most effectively in short, quick, uh, frequent bursts, not sort of long, you know, three hour conversations once a month. On the dance floor and on the balcony, beautiful. So you had to switch from live on stage like most people, to yeah. fully remote. Yeah. What did you learn about it? What can you share with us on how to do it correctly? The, the body is not there, but communication happens via the body, yep. if we want it or not. What did you learn? What can you All right, so primarily there, there, there were sort of three elements that switched virtual. Uh, uh, the first was our training center classes, so our regular sort of enrolled, you know, the school. Uh, so that went first. Then our corporate work, which were webinars and keynotes and, and workshops. And then last actually was the stage show. So I'm going to start with the stage shows last. Here's a couple of things we learned. When you're presenting uh, uh, in, uh, entertainment in this format, you don't want more than a four-person cast. So uh, four screens fits really nicely. It works in mobile. Any more than that, and you're in trouble. And less than that, it's not quite as um, uh, full. Uh, in our experience. Uh, the other thing that became crucial, and this was true uh, for the corporate work as well, was, you know, normally Second City shows, uh, and often our Second City sort of keynotes or, or workshops, we have a musical director, someone who's scoring and adding and punching up music. That became crucial in this environment, uh, because it is awkward at times, and there is dead space and you have to fill these moments, but having someone who can do sort of needle drops or, or uh, acoustic guitar or piano or whatever, um, just adds a more fuller experience. We did a, a workshop very early on with a soft drink company. Um, and we said we had a musical director, like we don't understand why you have 
musical director. But the minute that uh, we started the, the workshop, uh, there was a pandemic playlist going. I think it was the police's Don't Stand So Close to Me. And people are like, love the music. Like they, they were instantly engaged because they're like, oh. And then we got them up to move. We're like, you know, use your space. You're, you don't have to sit in this chair. So we actually have, we'll lead them through, follow me in the room follow me, you know, just, and then copy what I'm doing. And then people realize they're having this sort of experience that they didn't expect to have because it's not what happens on, on their normal calls. Um, so, and then the, lastly, the, the other sort of pivot we learned is we, we, we took our, our, our um, uh, various exercises. And, and at first I was like, I, I don't know how we're gonna do this. But what you realize more and more is it just takes sometimes a slight pivot for you to be able to do and get across the same messages that seem so powerful in a room into this sort of online environment. And I want to share one with you if I can. Um, we were doing a workshop on um, uh, resilience. Uh, and I actually went to my wife and I'm like, what do you have in this area? She goes, oh, I've got a thing that actually would work very well in this environment. It's called the exercise is called WISH. And she created it. And so we said, everyone get out a piece of paper and you have a pen. Okay. Everyone write down a wish that they had of something they can't do right now that they want to do right now. So mine was like, go jump in the, the salt water in an ocean. Um, okay, now next column, uh, write down the emotion you think you'd feel if you got to do that thing. And I wrote down refreshed. If I could swim in the salt ocean, it would be refreshing. Okay, third column, write down uh, a thing you can do right now to experience that emotion. And I'm like, oh, okay, I could splash water on my face. I could go for a run or even a walk. I could go out in nature. There's actually a pretty long list. And the idea here is what you're trying to achieve is the emotional state, uh, not necessarily the thing that you think you, you want. And we do have access to those emotional states. They are, in hopefully, uh, in our control. Uh, and so this was an exercise that just was like a huge aha moment for everyone who took it. And they started, and everyone started exchanging their ideas in, this, in the chat. It was like, oh, all the different things we can do. So I think, especially in this environment we're in, if we can create moments of abundance ourselves to understand that there are many choices, many ideas, many things at play, we are going to be um, much happier in sort of our day-to-day -day, uh, moments than, than maybe we were before we were thinking that we had any choices. Beautiful exercise. I will try this out. <laughs> yes, happiness is inside of us. And, and we space away and we think, oh, if I could jump in the ocean, then. Yeah. But it's right here, the ocean is right here. It can be a little bit of water right now, right here. Yeah. Well, we think about that, like if we only had the money and we only had the boat, if we only had the bigger, you know, house or whatever. And it's like, that's not the stuff that matters in the long run. What matters is our relationships, our family, our connections. Um, yeah, I, I was talking to my therapist the other day. I'm, I cannot meditate. Like I have tried mindfulness stuff, meditation, but I love music. And she's like, take a, like find a 10 minute piece of jazz or classical music without words that you love and just listen to it and breathe. And I'm like, oh my God, like I did this like a couple times a day. I'm like, what a great break for me in the day. And I don't, I don't, we don't have to call it mindfulness or meditation, but it's a similar thing that's going on. And this is happens in improvisation too, which is you're just trying to alert and change your focus, take it off the things that stress us and place it in a place that's more intentional. That That is a place that's a, perhaps lovely, uh, that's not perfect, uh, that's damaged, but that's fine, it's, it's, it's who we are. Um, and, and all these things 
hopefully will lead you to manage through this fucking year, as you say, <laughs> um, and, and the years that we have ahead, because it's not just when this thing ends, we have a lot of rebuilding to do a lot. And, and it isn't going, it's not going to work if it goes back to the way it was. And I think we have, we um, uh, really need to come together, uh, all of us, and, and, and recognize that and do the hard work that needs to be done to, to fix the things that weren't working. Absolutely. Kelly, who should be my next guest? I think you should talk to my friend, Neil Stevenson. So Neil used to run the IDEO office in Chicago, and he's now a consultant. And uh, I am lucky enough, like I, I, Neil had an interest in improv and, and so we started collaborating on some stuff and uh, he does consultancy work right now. Um, he just sent me this zine uh, that he did, which is how to think about creative leadership. Um, and I'm like, dude, this is like, this is so terrific. He has a whole thing on how you ask creative questions. Uh, and, and the first rule in asking a creative question is never start with why, but start with how. And it's it's and then just gives a list of these these uh, uh, questions um, and and he talks about how can creative how how can we be creative while working remotely um, and he, some of his questions are um, how could we share inspiration in a way that opens our minds how can we collaborate around ideas how can we help people enter different uh, mindsets uh, while looking at a screen I mean these are inspiring questions that that can provoke collaborative answers as opposed to things like. Um, why aren't we making this uh, uh, environment more exciting? Why aren't you doing this? Which just is laced with judgment. And sometimes it is those simple, you know, changes of phrase. Uh, Carol Dweck, who does the growth mindset work, uh, often talks about, you know, don't tell someone if they're working on a math problem, they got it wrong. Uh, say, not yet. You don't have it right yet. Not yet. And that's a subtle but important difference in terms of urging someone to move forward with their with their uh, flawed, mistake-ridden self, and uh, and the other side of that, which is shut down because it's just all too hard. Absolutely, Kelly. Where can people stay in touch with you? Where can they find you? All sorts of places. I'm I'm on LinkedIn. I'm easy to find there. On Twitter, I'm KL Second City. Um, and you can find me on there. And then if someone wants, just email me, KLeonard at SecondCity.com. Thank you so much for being here, Kelly. Thank you, Swan. Very, very nice to meet you. Bye-bye. We all know that working in sprints is better, but how do we know what we should work on? You're in luck because we have a 15-minute exercise that will give you complete clarity on where to take your project next. Go to strategysprints.com sales to complete our short exercise and meet one-on-one -on -one with an expert sprint coach to identify your number one bottleneck. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed that episode of The Strategy Show. Make sure to like this video below and subscribe so that you can stay up to date with every episode of The Strategy Show. Get daily CEO tips from CEOs for CEOs.